0: All right, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, we just finished going through a series on the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, and with the super conference coming up next week, I didn't want to start another series, but I've got a message for us tonight, hopefully to prepare us for the super conference coming up and all that preaching that's going to be going on. Uh, You know, we not only need to listen on purpose, but we need to pray for God to move in a powerful way upon us to make us what we ought to be for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice beginning in verse 1, Paul. That's what the message is about tonight. Paul. But let's go ahead and read further. A servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to preach tonight on a man used of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 6, there was a man, notice, a man sent from God whose name was John. You go back to the Old Testament and we have in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30 where God tells us, and I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. It would seem, as it's always been important, but even more so in the day in which we live, that we ought to have more and more men who are wanting to simply do God's will in their life. Now, if everybody does God's will in their life, that doesn't mean then that everybody's going to be a preacher, that everybody's going to be a pastor or a missionary, but it does mean that everyone would be a full-time Christian committed to the Word of God. As we all know, both young men and young ladies have dreams in their life, and Some boys, uh, I remember when I was 10 years of age, my goal in life, what I wanted to be was, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Obviously, times were different back in the 1950s than what they are today. It wasn't about making a huge salary. It was about playing baseball with me. I just wanted to be a major league baseball player. So that was my goal as a 10-year-old boy. Now, as time went on, of course... And I began to realize I really didn't have the tools to be a major league baseball player. Then I found as I got in the upper parts of my teen, year, teen years that I wanted to be a big-time sports commentator. At least it still had to do with sports, and it was something that that's why I got in radio to begin with, because I wanted to be that big-time sports commentator. Now, it was interesting this morning, I asked several men in the congregation, do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? When you were 10 years of age, or around 10 years of age. I didn't call on Davy Bass. I I couldn't call on everybody. We didn't have time in the morning service for that. But Davy came up to me afterwards. He says, I was waiting for you to call on me. I said, why? What did you want to be when you were 10 years old? He said, I wanted to be the best marble player in my county. (laughs) I thought, well, I've sure never heard that before. That's an unusual goal to have to be the best marble player in this county where he was growing up. But Brother Cook, you were brought up in New York, isn't that right? All right. At 10 years of age, what was your goal when, when you grew up? What did you want to be? Anything but a farmer. Anything but a farmer. Well, you know, that's kind of true of me. I wanted to be anything but a factory worker. My mom and dad were factory workers, and that just seemed like the most boring thing in the world. I mean, thank God that we have factory workers. But to me, factory workers like bricklayers. You just keep, you know, just <laughs> slab the stuff down and put another brick down. And, uh, but at 10 years of age. Jeff, what did you want to be at 10 years of age? I wanted to be, well, to be an astronaut. Well, living close to Houston, we can understand that. Uh, that makes sense. Brother Joe, what did you want to be when you were 10 years of age? An engineer. Well, back when you were 10 years of age, engineers all had engines. Is that the kind of engineer you wanted to be? Uh, Okay. All right. Good. All right. Let's see here. Who else can we get? Uh, Brother Tom Weaver, I'm picking some of the older ones because uh, uh, some of them probably I'm sure don't remember. But, Brother Tom, what about you? Something like a cowboy, roping them doggies and riding those horses. All right, there you go. (laughs) Now, there's no doubt, answers would definitely vary, but wouldn't it be wonderful? And I'm not just thinking about nine and ten years of age, but I'm thinking about even a little older, that if our young men, if our boys, if they wanted to grow up, the first thing, most important thing in their heart is they wanted to grow up to be godly Christians. Now, I doubt there's ever been a time when that has been the answer most often or even hardly ever given. I want to be a godly Christian. I want to do God's will with my life. Uh, Carrie will remember several years ago, we made a trip down to a meeting. I I want to say it was someplace around Pell City, but the uh, Alabama Christian Education Association with their Christian schools uh, they honored some of their favorite students in their school at that time. And Kerry was one that was representing Madison Baptist Academy back then. Uh, but, and they, they picked out of that group, the uh, ACEA, picked out of that group uh, certain young people to be the students of the year for the Alabama Christian Education Association. And uh, I, they had all of the students stand up and give a brief testimony about what they were going to be doing, what they were looking for in their future. And if I remember correctly, and Carrie, you can correct me, but I don't think there was more than two that had any plans on even going to a Christian college. And it seemed like, every, and this was supposed to be the cream of the crop among the young people in Christian schools. And very few had a goal that meant, I mean, a primary goal of serving God and living for God and preparing for such a thing. And I thought back then, I thought, well, this is kind of sad. Is this the direction that we seem to be taking in Christian education today? Uh, Because as I remember back when Christian schools were starting at the rate of three a day back in the 1970s, that's not the reason the schools were started. They were started to to train champions for the Lord Jesus Christ, for soldiers of the cross. <coughs> that was the goal. Pardon me, I did this this morning as well. <coughs> but what about a desire of life? And I believe this for men and women. Now obviously, there are certain things that women cannot do. God has set certain things up. No woman's going to be a pastor. Amen. That's in the book. It's just in the Bible. It's just the way it is. But every person could be a godly Christian doing God's will for their life. God's will for your life might be to be an engineer. It might be to be um, a ditch digger. And that's all right. But his will for every Christian is to be a godly Christian to do God's will with their life. I wonder how many believers tonight, and I don't want you to raise your hand or anything like that. Something to give you pause for thought. How many here, you've given it good thought that I want to do God's will for my life. More important than anything I want to do. More important than anything that I would want to be. By the way, I was kind of shocked this morning and tonight both that We didn't have anybody say when they were 10 years of age they wanted to be a policeman or a fireman. Because I would have thought that back in the 1950s, 1960s, that would have been a common statement. To to want to be a policeman or a fireman. But it's really sad that out of our churches, very few have as their goal to complete God's will for their life. Now, here is a man in this man, the Apostle Paul, that was an enemy of Christianity before he became the Apostle Paul. He wanted to destroy anything that had to do with that name, Jesus of Nazareth. That was his life's goal. And he thought in doing that, he would be serving God. Now, Jesus said it would be like that. In John chapter 16, he said, The time cometh when whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And Paul had a part, Saul of Tarsus had a part in doing all that he could with that. But when he got saved, obviously his desires changed. And after that, from that point on, he simply wanted to serve the Lord. You look through the scripture and truly men and women are the vehicles and tools that God has chosen to do great works. And in most cases, not extraordinary men. And not extraordinary women, just redeemed, redeemed ones who are surrendered to his will, no matter what. I, I realize that in my, in my life, I, mean, I don't have a lot of time left. I obviously don't have another 74 years left. And my time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Maybe God will let me live to 80. I might not make it to 75. I mean, none of us knows how long we have anyway. But uh, I can definitely say that I'm, I, I'm not going to be around another 30 years to serve the Lord. That's not part of the gene pool that I'm in with my family. Uh, I'm not going to be a world-famous pastor. I'm not going to end up having a church that runs 30,000 people on Sundays. I'm not going to have a mega TV ministry. I'm not going to have a, a mega podcast with 150,000 subscribers to my podcast, those things are not going to happen. And that's not my goal in life. My goal in life is simply to do God's will. I want to complete what God wants me to complete. That's my goal in life. Now, if I do that, that'll be a wonderful thing. I'd like to hear the words, and I'm sure there are many here as with all the missionaries we have out of Madison Baptist Church, and I'm sure we have a number that are seated in the auditorium today that you want to hear one day, well done, now good and faithful servant. I can't think of any higher price. There's no plaque that could ever be given me, no group that could ever recognize me in such a way that would ever come close to matching those words from the lips of the Savior, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Now, that means that I never pastor more than what I do now. I already pastor more than I thought I ever would. Uh, This has been amazing to me. I remember when uh, reading Curtis Hudson's series, uh, I guess it was listening to his series on building and battling that he did many years ago. And one of the messages in that series, Curtis Hudson said, God uses men. And one of the points he made is, God uses men with a vision. And he said in that that message, he said, when I was just still a mail carrier pastoring that little church out in the country uh, over in rural Georgia, he said, I could picture myself preaching to thousands. And when I'd stand up in that little pulpit and there'd be 20 or 30 out there in the auditorium, he said, "I, I had a vision. Now, he's not talking about getting some ethereal thing, but he could picture himself preaching to thousands. When I heard him say that, I thought, you know, I have never had a picture of that for me. Since God saved me in 1971 and then called me to preach on the last Sunday of January 1974, I really have had one vision, and that's to be faithful to preaching the word of God, whether it's to one or a thousand. That's it. The size of the crowd doesn't matter. Any fame that may be gotten, that doesn't matter. That's not important. I would just want to be faithful to what God has called me to do unto the end. It's interesting that in Ezekiel 22, 30, and I quoted the verse, that when Israel was in trouble, it says, I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge before me before the land that I should not destroy it. And Then those awful words But I found none. Today we are so caught up in careers that people miss the most important things in life. And I realize God may call you to a particular vocation or career. I mean, after all, if God made everybody preachers, preachers would never get paid because we know they don't put much in the offering plate. A little humor there. Not much. I understand that. But anyway. But let me challenge everybody tonight. Let me challenge everyone here tonight to ask God to show you the will of God and you be committed to do it. This next week during the super conference, when we hear preaching, we hear the word of God being given by God's men to say, Lord, I want to do your will. Please show me what it is. When I began to believe back in, Actually, it began in uh, the fall of 1973 that God may be calling me to preach. I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I I think God may be calling me to preach, but I'm not sure. What should I do? And he suggested I take some correspondence courses from a Bible college and uh, our Bible school. And he said, being in the word of God, the more you're in the word of God, the better that'll be for you. And you'll you'll have an easier time discerning God's will. So I started studying. Uh, I studied, uh, one of the lessons was on John, one of the series of lessons. Another series of lessons was on uh, the book of Genesis. And I I took a couple of other courses as well. But I still remember that last Sunday in January, missionary to Brazil Charles Hocking with Baptist Mid-Missions was preaching that morning. My pastor was on vacation and he said something in the message that as soon as he said it, as soon as he said it, I knew the Lord was talking to me. And when he gave the invitation, I went forward and surrendered to do God's will and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here I am, 74. I don't know how much longer I've got, how many more messages there are in me. But however long it is, if I get to preach 100 more times or two more times, I want to be faithful to preaching the word of God. I want to finish right. Now, look at the apostle Paul. That was obviously his desire. And over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he gets near the end and he's talking to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, I charge thee, therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. May I say, that's New Testament preaching, and not a whole lot of it's done today in pulpits across America. But then he says, at the time of my departure is at hand. I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up, laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord has. The righteous judge shall give me at that day. The Apostle Paul, all the way to 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he's getting ready to meet the the, um, man who was going to cut his head off for serving God, it was a note of victory because he had been faithful right unto the end. Notice some things about Paul, this servant. Notice the scripture says, obviously, Paul. That's a man's name. It was a... Man. Uh, I want to make, I want to understand this. He was a normal man. You look at Paul, he was not a superhero. He was not part of the Marvel universe. He didn't have special powers. He was a man. He had two eyes, and evidently he had some kind of an eye problem with those. And he had two ears and he had a mouth and a nose. I mean, really, isn't it amazing what God can do with two ears, two eyes, a nose and a mouth? Look at the variation of billions of people. How God can make them all look still a little different so we can tell the difference between people. Just with something as simple as that. But the point is, he wasn't a superman. He was not an extraordinary man. He was a man. And that's what God calls, and that is what God uses. He wasn't a healthy man. He was even given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting proud about things. He wasn't a handsome man, according to Galatians 4.14. He was not a talented speaker. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul could put people to sleep with the best of them. You remember he preached in the book of Acts one time till after midnight and had a young man fall asleep in the windowsill and fall out the window. I thought, wow, I can do that. (laughs) Amen. He even appeared to have somewhat of a problem with a temper, so much so that even Barnabas and he got into an argument about John Mark going with them on the second missionary journey, and Here are these two friends that had been not only partners in pastoring the work there at Antioch, but had gone out in that first missionary journey so much so that they departed asunder. It's interesting to me that the Bible does not tell us who was right and who was wrong. Because it's really not important. I know this, no matter what difference they had, neither one of them stopped serving God. Both of them still serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, God took two missionaries, one missionary team, and made two missionary teams out of it. And that is enough. Now, we may find out when we get to heaven that God wasn't upset with either one of them. But even the best men are still men of best. Uh, You understand, uh, today it's really common. You get on some of these more new evangelical sites that aren't committed as much to fundamentals, who really all they want to talk about is love, which means they're leaving out an awful lot of Bible and the things that they have to say. They make fun of the term man of God. Like somehow it is the height of hypocrisy to claim to be a man of God. Well, like like you're claiming to be perfect. The first part of that whole phrase is man of God. And that lets us know right away that we have frailties. But we also have a special call of God on us. Do you realize the one man in the Bible that has the term man of God given to him in Scripture more than any other man, God doesn't even tell us his name. He was a prophet that God called up when the country was divided from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. God had this man of God go up to the northern kingdom and rebuke the king, Jeroboam, of the northern kingdom because of the altar that he had made. Now, God told that man of God that he was to go up there. He was to pronounce judgment upon the king and pronounce judgment upon the altar that the king had made. And then he was to go right back home. He went up there. He did that. Remember, the king threatened to do him harm. And God used that man of God to shrink the king's arm. When he cried out for mercy, he restored the king's arm. And he was ready to, and, and the king said, come come to the palace, I want to eat with you. He said, God told me I can't come, that I've got to go back down to Judah. But there was an old prophet in the area that heard about the message from the man of God. Heard about what had taken place, and he told his sons, you go tell the man of God. You go tell him that he's to come and to eat with us. When the man of God sent back the note, I can't, God told me I couldn't come. The old man said, well, God has since sent me a message and told me that I'm to invite you to my house and you're to come eat at my house. But the scripture makes this interesting statement. It says, but the old prophet lied. He lied. Now, see, that young man of God, he knew what God had said. And he was willing to turn out of the way. And as a result, as he's sitting eating with the old prophet, the old prophet stands up and God says, you know what I told you to do? And now you're never going to make it home. A lion's going to meet you in the way and going to kill you. Now, here he was, a man of God. He delivered a message faithfully. But he wasn't perfect. And the term man of God does not give any idea of perfection. They're still men. They're men with a call on their life. And where they fail in that call or fail in their obedience to God, they have to answer to God for it. By the way, when a man of God when some pastor when he stops following the word of God or when he falls into sin, and I hate to use the term falls into sin, when he commits sin. Please understand this. That does not make the truth that he preached untrue. The truth that he preached is still true. It's amazing how many Christians want to use that man's failure as an excuse not to follow the truth. But are you going to throw away 77 psalms because David, man called of God, because David sinned? Are you going to throw away 77 psalms out of your Bible? Those psalms are still true. Now, David paid an awful price for his sin. Not only in reaping, but also in the chastisement of the Lord. But please understand, when the man of God fails like that, that God's truth is still true. The Bible says in Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now we know, as the psalmist tells us, there are so many voices in the world today. There's an awful lot of false preaching that is done out there preaching that it is that is not according to the word of God, uh, we're to follow God's truth. You say, well, how do we know what's true? Well, what did he say? What what he said is truth. I, I think we do our churches a lot of good to throw away an awful lot of commentaries and just get back in the Bible. God wrote it to be understood. If he wanted us not to know things, all he did, all he had to do was not tell us. And we wouldn't know. But what he wrote, he wrote to reveal. It's God's revelation to us of truth. And he wrote it so we could understand his perfect will. So here's Paul. He was a man, but he wasn't just a man. He was a saved man. He got born again. Even though Paul had been of the priestly class, even though Uh, Saul of Tarsus had been one who had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who had served God to the best of his knowledge and ability beforehand. He needed to be born again like any other man. And when he got born again, God changed his life completely. That's what God does when he saves people. He changes them completely. I know when I got saved, he changed me. Now understand this. I did not get saved because I changed my life. I got saved because I saw myself as a helpless, hopeless sinner with no good thing that I could do. Nothing that I could change that would take me to heaven except trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. When I trusted Christ, he made me a new creature. And he does that for everyone that trusts him as Savior. Nobody goes to heaven because of their parents. They go to heaven because they take Jesus Christ as their Savior. So Paul was a man. Secondly, he was a servant man. Notice in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I fear that there are way too many young men who go off to Bible college and they go off to expect to learn. They want to be able to rule over people. But I want you to understand that, yes, the position of pastor, for instance, does have rule in it according to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. But our job is to minister. Jesus Christ is Son of God, but he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And he is our example We are here for other people. We need to get away from this idea that everybody else is here for me. To see to it that I'm happy. To see to it that I get what I want. You will never serve God like you should. Male or female. Until you get to the realization that your responsibility is to minister to others. That also means, by the way, ministering to some people who don't appreciate it. Look at the Apostle Paul. Keep your hand here. Go over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians got chapter 1. I got to get to the place where I stop yelling or I'll not make it through the whole message. Philippians chapter 1. Notice he says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness is always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to, be with, uh, to depart, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now look at this. Nevertheless, To abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Over in 1 Corinthians, in those first three chapters, he reminds them that all the trials and the troubles that he had gone through, that he had gone through those things for their betterment, that they be helped, the suffering that he went through. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He suffered on the cross for us. He is the example. He suffered for others. If you're going to serve him, if your life's going to count for him, whether you're in what we would call full-time service or not, you're going to be serving others. And you're going to be serving some that don't appreciate it. I mean, there are some people, you know, they say there are givers and takers. And uh, there's a whole lot of people, they just want to be the takers. They don't want to give of themselves for others. And yet a life of serving Christ means living for others. Notice back here the term that he uses. It's a common term with Paul. He says a servant of Jesus Christ. The word that is translated servant is a word that literally means bond slave. The apostle Paul saw himself as a slave to Jesus Christ. He tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You understand to be, to be a bond slave to Christ is to be free from a number of things of the world. But if you are a servant to the world and the things of the world then you are free from Christ. I didn't say you've lost your salvation. Who, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. It's important we get that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God, now get this, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not about my rights. It's not about what I want. I belong to him. Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do with my life? Lord, what do you want me to prepare for in my life? Lord, I'm kind of interested in being this, but Lord, You've got veto power over any part of my life. I want to do your will. Let me know your will. Bible says this in Proverbs 6, Proverbs chapter, uh, oh, good night. Proverbs chapter, is it 5? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 3. I don't know why I just had a mental block there. Well, that's, that's becoming common. Um, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, now get this, and he shall direct thy paths. If you want to know what God wants you to do, acknowledge him in all your ways. If you want to know where God wants you to be, what college, for instance, he wants you to go to, who he wants you to marry, how he wants you to date, how he wants you to live your life, acknowledge him. In all your ways. And he shall direct thy paths. I really think too many of our believers today. It's God, I want you to bless my plans. Instead of God, I want you to make my plans. I I submit them all to your approval. Whatever you want, Lord, just let me know. That's got to be enough. Our job in the meanwhile, of course, is to be faithful in all things. So he was a servant man. Not only that, not only a saved man, a servant man. He was a called man. For notice, he says, called to be an apostle. Paul knew what he was. And he knew who called him. He says over and over again at the beginning of a number of his epistles, uh, a servant of Jesus Christ by the will of God or an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He knew what God's will was. Now, let's see, since it was 1974, that means you realize God called me to preach 50 years ago this month. Man, I just realized that 50 years ago this month, God called me to preach on that day. Wow. What a blessing. What a great time. 50 years ago. And I got a great retirement, by the way. It's out of this world. Praise the Lord. But you know, from that morning that God called me to preach, I have never doubted that God called me to preach. There's never been a question about it. I know what God's called me to do. Now, you ought to know what God's calling you to do. What he's called you to do with your life. Like I said, man, if it's be an engineer, fine, be an engineer. Be a good one, be a good testimony, be a faithful church member, be in the house of God. Serve the Lord, be faithful in your giving. Be a godly Christian. Be in the book. Now, if that sounds boring to you, I know this about you. You're not walking with God. You may be saved, but you're not walking with God. I would hate to live a day without walking with the Lord. I mean, this is real, man. This is real. I'm not a monk living cloistered up in some mountain area. Not at all. But every day, it's his day. He was a called man, called to be an apostle. By the way, we see his calling when God told Ananias to go to Saul of Tarsus shortly after he got saved to let him know what he called him for. He told Ananias, he said, go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was definitely true to his calling. You might ask, what does that have to do with me? Well, if you look at verse six, he says, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ to all that be of Rome. Beloved of God, every Christian has the call on their life from God to be true to him, to be faithful to him, to serve him. Every Christian has that call. We are called to be sent forth. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. You cannot witness to the wrong person. Jesus died for the world. Were to go to the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And any doctrine that would lead you to think that there are people out there that you've got no business telling them God loves them, that Jesus died for them because we don't know if they're the elect or not. That is a heresy, a heresy that keeps Christians disobedient to the clear truth of God's word. Let me give you a fourth thing and we'll be done. He was a separated man. Notice what he says. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God separated. His life was not just his words. He magnified the gospel. As a matter of fact, the, the word that's used in verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, unfortunately, the Roman church today has totally misused that word saints. A saint is not somebody that is voted on by a church hierarchy to determine that they were godly enough to make it to sainthood. The truth is, everybody that's been born again is a saint. The word literally means holy one. That's what it means. As a matter of fact, the word, when we talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, it's that same word that's translated holy. That same uh, form of the word that uh, you have for saint. It means literally to be separate from something unto something. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are a redeemed people. And we are to be holy ones in our walk. That ought to concern us. We're to avoid every appearance of evil. Over in First Peter chapter 1, notice beginning in verse 14. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 14, the scripture says, As obedient children, not fasting yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy." Now, he's quoting from the book of Leviticus. God's standard for holiness and living for his people is the same for his people in the New Testament as it was for his people in the Old Testament. God wants us to be a holy people. We are to represent a holy God. Now, it always amazes me when somebody uses this phrase, to think somehow they can nullify the necessity of practical holiness in the life. They say, but we're under grace. Yes, and under grace, you can walk holy. That's not an excuse to live after the flesh, to live like the world. Grace, as a matter of fact, well, I haven't turned to this in a long time. Uh, in a message. So let's turn to it. Titus chapter 2. I'll tell you how anybody can use grace as an excuse to not live holy. It's absolutely amazing. They've obviously never read the book of Titus. In Titus, notice he says in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, we know there are a lot of different forms of grace, but there's giving grace, there's serving grace, and there are verses dealing with each one of those things. Right here in this passage, he lets us know what grace he's talking about. He's talking about the grace of God that bringeth salvation. He says, it hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. What does the grace of God that brought me salvation, what does that teach us? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. In this present world, he doesn't say the grace of God to bring us salvation teaches us that since we're under grace, it doesn't matter what you do. It surely does. God expects us since we've been saved by grace. Thank God that we can live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. What to God, as we go through this next week with the preaching conference and all those messages that we're going to hear, that we will get to the place where we're willing to ask God, Lord, show me what you want me to do with my life. And I'll do it. All my dreams, all my plans, all my wants, Lord, I lay at your feet. And all I want is to know your will so I can do it and then do it that would make that the greatest meeting that we've ever had let's pray father we come to you in the name of the lord jesus we've learned lessons from a man we often refer to him in very high terms we almost think of him as being superhuman but he wasn't he was just a man He was a surrendered man. He was a separated man. He was a called man. He knew what you wanted him to do, and he simply did it. God, help us to walk like that in our life. Have your way in our lives tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name.